If you've got your Bible, open with me, please, this morning to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32. We began a number of weeks ago in a series we're calling Finishing Strong. And like Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as he was coming to the end of his life and ministry on earth, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And whether you're talking about finishing a year, just like you and I are about to do in these next few days, or you're finishing a race, or even finishing your life on this earth, what's important is, number one, yes, finishing. You don't want to quit along the way. But number two, you don't want to just finish. You want to finish how, church? Now, when the answer to the question is the word strong, it matters how you say it. So you're not just, just interested in finishing. You, you want to finish how, church? Strong. That's better. That's better. You want to finish strong. Now, the thing is, take, for example, the time we're in right now, coming to the end of a year. And like I said, whether it's the end of a year or the end of a race, it's easy to not have the same strength at the end that you started with. These bodies that we have, they're natural, they're flesh, they're subject to a lot of stuff in this world. And they don't have an infinite amount of strength. They need rest, they need fuel. But we all come to different times and places in our lives where we don't, we're not operating with the same strength we were days, weeks, months before. But the good news is, as believers, people who know Jesus, people who take God at His word, we have access to this other strength. When this natural strength runs out, we've got access to what kind of strength? Supernatural strength. And I don't care really how strong you are physically, and that's a good thing to be. We, all, we would all want to be stronger physically. It's better to be stronger than to be weaker, of course. But no matter how strong you are physically, we can find the end of that strength. It's not hard. Even the strongest among us who eat all the right stuff and, and work out just the right amount and fuel their body and they're just, you know, muscles stacked on top of muscles. And yeah, maybe they can lift a whole lot, but we can find the end of it. How do you find the end of it? Just keep adding to it. You'll find it. You and I come to the end of our physical strength pretty quickly. It's a good thing to be physically strong. It's a good thing to be mentally strong. I mean, it's much better to be mentally strong than it is to be mentally weak. So that's great. But even our mental strength, we can find the end of that. Even the brainiest people among us, so-called geniuses, so educated and brilliant and just seems like there's no end to their knowledge, but that's not true. We can find the end of their mental capacity and ability. We can find the end of that strength. It's a good thing to be financially strong. I heard one yes. I'll say it again, give you another opportunity. It's a good thing to be financially strong. It's a good thing. Is it better to be financially strong or financially weak? Well, stronger is better. You know that. That's not, that's not a hard question. But even people who look as though they've got the most, you know, there's stacks of cash in the bank and the investments are producing and their businesses are, you know, world changing and, and there's billions upon billions. Okay, great. We can find the end of that. 
I mean, think of the wealthiest person you know of. And you would think to yourself, there's nothing they can't do. Oh, we can find it. We can find it. Just keep pushing. Just keep adding something to it. And you will find the end of their financial strength. What am I telling you? What I'm saying is you and I can come to the end of our own strength and we can get there in a hurry. Whether it's physical, mental, financial, whatever it is, we can find the end of our own strength. So what do we do when we have found the end of our own strength? Well, we got to start tapping into some supernatural strength. We got to start accessing some God strong kind of strength. And that's why he said our God never sleeps. He never slumbers. The Bible says that he does not grow weary. He does not faint. Now here's the good news. The good news is he gives power to the faint. He increases strength to who? Those who have no might. You could say it like this. He increases strength to those who have come to the end of their own strength. Now, one of the ways we access that strength is being quick to acknowledge I'm at the end of mine, Lord. So you can keep faking it all you want to. You can keep faking, oh, I'm strong and I can handle more and I can handle more and I can handle more. Oh, I'm mentally strong. There's nothing I can't figure out. There's there's no problem I can't solve. I'm so financially strong that there's no need I can't meet. Well, as long as you are pretending that, then you are keeping this God strength at an arm's distance from you. One of the first and easiest ways to access this supernatural strength when you've come to the end of your own is to say, I've come to the end of my own. To acknowledge it. And to acknowledge that you're in need of him. Anybody in here today willing to acknowledge? Yeah, I'm in need. I'm in need of my God. I'm in need of my Savior. Yeah. Well, you're on your way to accessing this this strength. Look at this in Jeremiah chapter 32. The reason we're talking about this is I I know in my own life personally, and I got a sense in my spirit about where we were as a family coming into this part of the year, that there were many of us in need of this, in need of a, a dose of this supernatural strength. And I've got some things to say to you that I think will tie into the season we're in, Christmas time. But I don't think it's a traditional Christmas message. And I tried my hardest. <laughs> I did, man. I was looking at all the Christmas scriptures and I thought, I just, Lord, just give me something sweet. I just want something sweet and Christmassy. And he's like, no, here, have this. <laughs> so we got to go with what he said. Jeremiah chapter 32. Look at verse 17. And we'll have this on the screen for you. Jeremiah 32, 17. This is the prophet Jeremiah speaking. And he said, ah, Lord God. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Say this next part with me. There is nothing too hard for you. Say that part again. There is nothing too hard for you. This is such a powerful verse. And it's actually one I want you to put in your pocket. Don't leave this verse in the sanctuary today. You hear me? Take this one with you. I want you carrying this verse around with you to the end of the year and on into the next one because you and I will bump up against some stuff that's too hard for us. You and I are going to run into some things 
And we're going to come to the end of our own strength pretty quick. Whether, again, it's physical, mental, financial, anything. But this is when you're going to have to reach into your pocket and pull out Jeremiah 32, 17 that says, There is, say it with me, nothing too hard for you. Man, my message to you this morning is simple. What is it? There is nothing too hard for the Lord. What a powerful verse. It's not only a powerful verse, it's a funny one. Now, to get the humor in it, you'd have to go back and read everything that was going on around it. But without taking time to dig into all that, Jeremiah, of course, is speaking to the Lord. And this is how he begins the prayer. Ah, Lord, behold, you have made the heavens with your great power and the earth with your outstretched arm. Did anybody sing that song growing up in church? Ah, Lord God, that, that was one of ours in church. It always makes me think of that, being a kid growing up in church. But this is what Jeremiah is saying. That you did all this. You made the, the heavens with your power. You made the earth with your outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. Now, this is how the prayer starts. But what's funny about it is it's a prayer in response to some things God told Jeremiah to do that looked completely impossible. Anybody ever experienced that with the Lord? Where he's given you an assignment, given you an instruction, and you look back, or you step back and you look at it and you go, there's no way. How, how in the world? I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example. Let, let's say there was a, maybe a, a youngish married couple living in Texas and the Lord said, I want you to move your family and your ministry up to the mountains of Colorado and I want you to buy this big old building and all this land and it's going to cost millions of dollars. That's just something off the top of my head. You ever been there where you just step back and you look at what the Lord said do and the first thought is, how in the world? That's what was going on with Jeremiah. Now we can learn a lesson from him. This is how you pray when the Lord says do something that you know you can't do. This is how you pray, ready? Ah, Lord God, behold. You made the heavens with your great power. You made the earth with your outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. How in the world are we going to do this? <laughs> this is what's going on in this prayer. The Lord had given him something that looked like an impossibility to him. And the funny part comes a little bit later, just a few verses later. After Jeremiah has said, you've done all these wonderful things, you're so powerful, you've rescued us. He kind of re rehearses the, the nation of Israel's history and all the great things the Lord's done for him. And then he gets to the part of his prayer. was like, Lord, how am I going to do this? The Lord had told him to go buy some land, just like I was talking about us coming up here buying land. That's what the Lord told him to do. And he thought, how am I going to do it? It's in the hands of the enemy. There's no way. And, and because he started his prayer with nothing's too hard for you, even though he ended it with, this seems like it's too hard. God spoke back to him in Jeremiah 32, 27 and said, behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Notice this. Is there anything too hard for me? Isn't this a funny conversation back and forth? Nothing too hard for you. Yeah, that's right. Nothing too hard for me. That's what God says to him. We're going to look at this scripture in a little more detail here in just a few minutes. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. Don't turn there. Just listen to it. Jesus looked at his disciples, was speaking to them, and he said, With men... 
This is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Here's another one I want you taking with you today when you leave. What was the first one? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. What else are you taking with you? With God, all things are possible. I'm telling you that, and I believe the Lord is telling us that, because perhaps even before this year is over, you might run into some stuff that looks impossible. And you come to the end of your own strength, whether it's your own strength physically, your own ability to figure it out, or you come to the end of your own strength financially, Lord, how are we going to pay for that? I hear you want us to do it. I, I, I understand, but how? How? This is what you need to reach into your pocket and pull out right here. With God, all things are possible. I'm just simply reminding you this morning, this is our God. He is the God who specializes in what men call impossibilities. As a matter of fact, I think he loves those more than anything else. And there are some people that, that are like that. There are some people crazy enough that they love it the moment somebody says it can't be done. I got anybody like that in here? You actually thrive on that. You love it when somebody says to you, you can't do that. It's like, well, I wasn't going to, but you told me I can't. And so now I'm going to. But you and I, and maybe even some among us right now, throughout life at various times, we stare down the barrel of impossible situations, don't we? we? We come face to face with some stuff that looks bigger than us, badder than us, stronger than us. And just at a cursory glance and looking at it from the natural perspective, we look at it and say, man, there is nothing that can be done about that. People are being handed these impossible situations every day. Some people are being handed impossible situations by doctors. And they're being told, there's nothing that can be done. But honestly, you know, if some of these so-called professionals were honest, they would maybe change what they're saying and they'd say, there's nothing more I can do. Doesn't necessarily, there's, that doesn't necessarily mean there's nothing more that can be done. You've just come to the end of their ability. But that's okay. That's not a reason to be upset with somebody. That's not a reason to stand up and fight with somebody. That's just your cue to go access some of this God strength, to go access some of this God ability that he's made available to you. And what Jesus said here was that with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What does it mean to be with men? What does it mean to be with God? Well, listen to it from the Weist translation. I don't think we have this one for the screen. So just listen to this. Matthew 19, 26, out of the Weist translation. Jesus, having turned his eyes upon them, upon his disciples, having considered them, said to them, in the presence of men, as men look at this, it's impossible. What does it mean to be either with men or with God? Well, this makes it very clear. What it means to be with men, he's saying, is to be in the presence of men. As men look at it, it's impossible. 
whatever impossibility you're facing now or the one that's coming later. Oh, pastor, don't say that. (laughs) I'm not prophesying. This is called living on earth. Whether it's an impossible situation right now or one coming in the next year, as long as you stay in the presence of men on that, you're going to see it the way men see it. As long as you just stay stay so limited in in the way you're looking at it. This is what the professional said. This is what the person with the experience said. And this is what the person with the knowledge said. And so that must be the way it is. What's happening? You're in the presence of men. And because you're in their presence, you start seeing it the way they see it. This is happening all the time. I said, this is happening all the time. I've been married to this woman over 15 years now. I have been with Sarah over 15 years now. And you know what's happened in that amount of time? I see things the way she sees things. She sees things the way I see things. It's the result of time spent in each other's presence. Not just a fleeting time, not just a minute or two here and there. This is the result of day after day after day, year after year, and a perspective shift takes place. Maybe I used to see things one way, but after my time with her, I see things a different way. She might have seen things differently, but because of the time that we've spent in each other's presence, she sees things the way I see things. To the point now where we could have something come up at work, here at the church, in the office, in the ministry, and maybe, maybe I'm out of town. Maybe I'm nowhere near, and she's got to make a decision, and typically it'd be something we would talk about, but because of whatever situation, she's got to make that call. I could tell you with 100% confidence, that woman not only speaks for herself, but she speaks for me. We see things the same way. What's that the result of? Time in each other's presence. As long as you only have earthly influences, as long as, as long as all you're doing is Googling the problem, you're just going to see it the way other men see it. And it will remain impossible. It will remain too big, too bad, too strong, too expensive for you. But Jesus said, yeah, with men, it can't be done. But what? With God, all things are possible. So what do you think it means to be with God? Well, Jesus said it like this. In the presence of men, as men look at this, it's impossible. But in the presence of God, as he looks at this, all things are possible. The same thing happens to you. When you get in the presence of God, you used to see things one way, but all of a sudden, after time with him, after hearing from him, after his word being poured in you, you're going, wait a second, I'm having a perspective shift here. And what used to look so big, I'm comparing it now to my great bigger God. And this thing doesn't look near as big as it used to. You're seeing it, not only, not only seeing the problem, now you're seeing it the way he sees it which is a shift. This is what you need church for. This is what we need to create an atmosphere of faith for. 
before we ever opened the doors on day one of this church, our vision for this place was to create such an atmosphere of faith that somebody could come in off the street facing an impossible situation and they just step into this atmosphere, not even having anybody say something specific about what's going on in their life. Nobody saying, do this, turn this key, take that step. No, they just come into an atmosphere of faith and all of a sudden they go, wait a second, it can be done. Wait a second. It's not too big. It's not too big for my God, which means it's not too big for me. That's what happens when you come into an atmosphere like this, full of faith, full of love. You see things differently. Now, the reason I bring this up, or I should say, I believe the Lord's bringing this up, specifically concerning the season that we're in right now, celebrating Christmas, is... Never had there been a more impossible situation. Mankind, we had gotten ourselves into a mess. And the condition we were in was not the will of God for us. But to rescue us out of it, we were going to need a savior. And the savior had to be a man. But he was going to have to be born of incorruptible seed and not corruptible seed. So how do you do that? Well, go back to the book of Luke chapter one with me. And we're going to read several verses around in this, but look at what the angel of the Lord said to Mary in verse 37. After, after Gabriel had told her what was coming, prophesied to her about Jesus being born in verse 37, listen to what the angel said. For with God, what? Nothing will be impossible. What makes an impossible thing possible? It's being with God on it. Now, there's something we need to add to this right here. There is a pretty common misconception, I think, about God. I don't think you could find a self-proclaimed Christian anywhere in the world that would disagree with the statement that nothing's too hard for God. With God, all things are possible. But there's a misconception, I think, in that, that just because all things are possible, I think people have taken that to mean all things are easy. Are you hearing me? They think, well, with God, all things are possible, which means all things are easy. And I get why people would say that. You know, we've already talked about it. He's got strength that doesn't run out. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't faint and so on. But yet you see things through the scriptures that actually required what the Bible called the working of his mighty power. Does that sound like it was easy? Does that sound like it was just nonchalant, just another day in heaven? No. To raise Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, required the working of his mighty power. So all things are possible doesn't necessarily mean all things are easy. So what would make something hard for God? Now, we know there's nothing too hard, but what would make it hard for God? If he's got all this strength, all this power, all this endless ability, what is it that would make something hard for God? Well, 
things aren't hard because, you know, Satan's so powerful. No, that's not it. The Bible says that Jesus cast out demons with the finger of God. God's got more power in his pinky than Satan has in his entire being and all his demons and whatever. So things are, wouldn't be hard for God because, you know, the enemy is strong. What could make something hard for God? The only thing I think that could make anything hard for God is that he requires our cooperation. And that has proven to be, at times, a near impossibility throughout human history. For him to do anything in our lives or in the earth, it requires human participation and cooperation. It requires people who are willing to lay themselves aside, to empty themselves of their own will, to do what he wants, to do it how he wants, to do it where he wants and when he wants. And finding people like that, I think, has proven to be a very difficult job for God. What makes something hard for God? He needs you and I to cooperate. The angel said to Gabriel, for with God, nothing will be impossible. I want to get back to that in just a second. Back up and let's look at the beginning of this chapter, chapter Luke chapter 1. Just start in verse 5. I want to read several verses here. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughter's of the daughters of Aaron, her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. And when he went into the temple, then he went into the temple of the Lord. Verse 10, the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. So we're about to find out what Zacharias and his wife have been praying about, what they've been asking God for. He said, Your prayer's heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you'll call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he'll be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, glory to God. This is exactly what we've been believing God for. He, I knew he'd do it. I had a hundred percent confidence in my God. What did he say? Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? In other words, how's this going to be? I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Let me put this another way for you. This is way too hard. 
This is too hard. How is this possible? This is, this is impossible. But what Jeremiah said, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Actually, the Amplified Bible of that translation or that verse says, there's nothing too hard or too wonderful for you. What's Zacharias saying to the angel? This is too hard and it's too wonderful. The whole thing started with your prayers been heard. This is what they've been praying for. And yeah, maybe they've been praying a long time. Maybe they started praying when they were younger folks and now they're older. But because of that little change in life, what's he decided? This is too hard. This is too wonderful. It's impossible. Here's the question I want to ask you this morning. God is with us, but are you with him? Because that's what makes it possible. Because up until this point, Zacharias is not with God on this. Now God's with him. He's heard the prayer. He's ready to answer it. But this response to this seeming impossibility proves God may be with him, but he's not yet with God on this. Are you following me? Now, if you skip ahead and get down into verse 26, it says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is, come on church, the Lord is what? With you. So what do you know? If the Lord's with her, there's about to be an impossibility made possible. This is one of the first things that happens when the Lord is with somebody. He said, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Now, you know what happened to Zacharias? He asked a question because it seemed impossible. Do you remember? We didn't read it, but if you go back, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. Read it for yourself. I came from the presence of the Lord. I came with a word. In other words, you talking to me? Now, Mary asked a question and she didn't get in trouble. But Zacharias asked a question and he got in trouble. And the angel said, as a matter of fact, you are going to be mute to the day your son is born. And he was. He did not say a word until the baby was born. And when everybody wanted to know the baby's name and they were going to call him after the name of his father. And Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. And they said, there's nobody in your family named John. They said, girl, you don't know what you're talking about. So they went to Zacharias and said, what's the baby's name? Tell us what his name is. He asked for a pen and paper and he wrote down John. And as soon as he got with God on it, his mouth opened up. And I've been asking the Lord, what's the difference? Mary asked you a question and you were good with that. 
Zacharias asks you a question, you shut him up for nine months. And, and I don't know that the scripture really spells this out plainly for us, but I will say this. He should have known better. He's already been praying for this. He's a man of God who's got experience with God, who knows God, who knows the word. He should have known better. Amen. Well, Mary asks a question. How can this be? What's she saying? This sounds impossible. And it would be, right? To get pregnant for a woman, to be pregnant without a man. How would that be possible? Well, with men, it's impossible. In the presence of men, as men look at it, it's impossible. But the angel said to her, in verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Well, we know that, right? With God, we know impossible things become possible. But Mary said in verse 38, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. The angel started this whole conversation by saying, Mary, the Lord's with you. But the question, what are we asking? We know he's with us. Are we with him? The moment she said these words, you ready? Be it unto me according to your word. That's the moment she was with God. God was with her. Oh, we knew that. But this is the moment she got with him. Now, one of the things the angel said to her, you see it, I think here in Luke, maybe in Matthew, said, you're going to have this baby and he'll be called Emmanuel. Who knows what that means? Come on, shout it. God with us. God with us. So because of that fact alone, because we've been given Jesus, I could stand here right now and say with as much confidence to you the exact same thing that the angel said to Mary. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. I can say that to you. Now, the angel wasn't going around house to house and down, down the whole street just knocking on doors. Rejoice, the Lord is with you. Rejoice, the Lord is with you. That hadn't happened yet. But we have been given Emmanuel. Jesus, the Lord, is with us, which is why I can say to you, rejoice, church. You're highly favored, and the Lord is with you. Why don't you say it? I'm highly favored, and the Lord is with me. Say it again. I'm highly favored. And the Lord is with me. I'm declaring this over you in the coming year. You are highly favored and the Lord is with you. This is what you've got to be saying every time you look at something that looks impossible, too big, too strong, too bad, too expensive. What do you do? Rejoice. I'm highly favored and the Lord is with me. He's with you. But what's the question? Are you with him? Are you with him? So how do we get with him on this? 
We know he's with us. He gave us Jesus to prove it. That's what this Christmas time is all about. I'm with you. But man, our understanding of that has been way too shallow. Oh, the Lord is with us. What does that even mean? Well, you know, he, he came here and he's here and we're here. So, you know, he's with us. Well, what would it mean to you if I said, I'm with you on that? Yeah, I mean, it could mean, you know, I'm with you. We're going to ride in the car together downtown, whatever. But if there's something going on and, and, and there's a difficult situation and you see it one way and somebody else sees it another way and, and maybe I come along and I'm, I'm that deciding vote, you know, I'm that third, that third vote and, and, and we're going to go whichever way the majority rules. What if I come to you and I say, you know what? I'm with you on that. What does that mean? I believe you. I'm for you. I'm on your side in this. I see it the way you see it. We've got a God that said, I'm with you. I'm with you. But the deciding vote is not just him being with you. It's you being with him. How do we do that? Because it's easy to, to make believe that we are. It's easy to pretend, oh yeah, I'm with you. How did Mary do it? Be it unto me according to your word. Man, it's so simple. How do you get with God in the middle of an impossibility? Be it unto me according to your word. Not according to what the professionals say. Not according to the limits on others' experience. Be it unto me according to your word. Well, I'm sorry to give you this information, but you, you're diagnosed with this and there's just really nothing we can do about it. Okay. Whose presence are you going to get in on that? As long as you stay in the presence of men, you'll see it the way they see it and it will be unto you according to their word. But if you will take the time, church, Get into the presence of God. Let him change what you see and how you see it. And you come into agreement with him. Be it unto me according to your word. According to your word. What's the Lord want for us in 2023? Well, whatever it is, Lord, be it unto us according to your word. I got growth in mind for you. Be it unto us according to your word. Increase is coming to your business. Be it unto us according to your word. Increase coming to your church family. Be it unto us according to your word. We're with you on this, Lord. We're with you. I'm bringing the finances up to a whole new level in the church and in the families represented in the church. Yeah, but it's a real down economy because I was watching Fox News and they said, okay, fine. Be it unto you according to their word. Why don't you come into the presence of God, though, and let him show you the way he sees it. And when he says, I've got increase in mind for you, what do you say? Be it unto me according to your word. When Jesus said to the disciples what he did in Matthew 19, with men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. He was answering a question. A few verses before this, a young man had come running to him and knelt before him. 
and said, good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And they had a conversation back and forth. And Jesus said, you want to enter into life? You know the commandments. And, and the guy said, which ones? And Jesus talked to him about the commandments. And he's like, yeah, 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 I, I know that. I've done all that. But Jesus, the Bible says, looked at him and loved him. So you know whatever is about to come out of the mouth of Jesus is coming out of a heart of love. He looked at him and he loved him and he said, one thing you lack, go sell what you have, give to the poor, take up your cross and do what? Follow me. Other translations, you know what he said? Come with me, with me. I'm inviting you to be with me. So what's he saying? I'm with you. The only thing left is for you to be with me. But what happened? The Bible says this young man who had a lot of stuff, a lot of money, a lot of things, walked away from Jesus, not with him, away from him, because he had great wealth. And after he walked away, Jesus turned to the disciples and he said, how hard it is to get a rich man into the kingdom of God. He said, it's so hard for somebody who trusts in their riches to come into the kingdom. What makes it hard? Well, a rich person, somebody with a lot of stuff, money, wealth, things, they look around and think, well, you know, that needs met and that needs met and I got that and I'm not short on that. What do I need a God for? I'm doing pretty good as my own God. This is what Jesus is saying. It's hard to get somebody to recognize when they've come to the end of their own strength. It's hard to get somebody to admit that. It's so, it's so hard to get somebody to acknowledge that. A prideful person will, will not acknowledge, I've come to the end, Lord. And this guy wouldn't acknowledge it. Even though he knew there was a need that he wasn't able to satisfy on his own. But when Jesus said, it is so hard to get a rich man into the kingdom of God, this evidently blew the disciples' mind because they said to him in astonishment, who then can be saved? That was the question. Who can be saved? And the answer to the question was, with men, it's impossible. What's he saying? You can't save yourself. I don't care what kind of physical, mental, or financial strength you think you've got. When it comes to saving you, we're at the end of what you got. And we got there in a hurry. I don't care how much you can binge press. I don't care how many millions or billions are in the bank. I don't care many, how many initials you have behind your name or to what degree your education reaches. When it comes to saving you, we came to the end of all that in a hurry. With men, it's impossible. Who can be saved, Jesus? Well, with men, nobody can. But with God, all things are possible. What was he talking about? He wasn't just talking about, oh, I've got a bad diagnosis and with God it's possible to overcome. And certainly that's true. He wasn't just saying, well, I've got a financial need that looks impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And yeah, absolutely, that's true. But he was talking about something much bigger than that. 
much more eternal. And it was saving yourself. With men, the strength of men, as men see it, you can't do it. But with God, all glory to God. With God, all things are possible. So with God, everybody can be saved. So why isn't everybody saved? Because it's not all up to him. He's with you on it. Are you with him? Are you with him? Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.